The Advanced Route is brought to you by GameTime, your new go-to app for the best deals on last-minute tickets. Did you know NFL ticket prices tend to drop right before the game starts? GameTime tracks prices in real time from thousands of trusted sellers, then shows you all the best last-minute deals with prices up to 60% off. More than 12 million fans have downloaded the GameTime app and discovered the fastest, easiest way to get into the game. Here at the Advanced Route, we are going to talk about football as we do every single week. But one great thing about Game Time is they've got more than football. You want NBA tickets? You want NHL tickets? You can find them on Game Time. You want concert tickets? You want theater tickets? You want to see the Nutcracker like my wife and I are going to be doing uh, in about a month here with the Christmas season right around the corner? You can find that on Game Time. So head to the App Store or Play Store now to download Game Time and score awesome deals on last-minute tickets. What's up, everyone? Hello. Welcome in to the Advanced Route here at The Athletic for Week 11 of the NFL season. I am your host, Michael Beller, joined as always, as I am, by the brains of The Advanced Route, Emery Hunt. Emery, how we doing headed into Week 11? We're doing fine, Mike. I appreciate you, as always, as we do this show each and every week. It's always a pleasure, and we've got some good stuff to talk about today. We sure do. Um, You know, uh, I was inspired by what we did last week, and I wanted to keep that rolling this week. We'll get to that in just a second. First, uh, you can follow Emery on Twitter at FBallGamePlan. You can follow me on Twitter at MBeller. Be sure to check out the advanced, or excuse me, theathletic.com slash the advanced route to get yourself 40% off a subscription if you are not already a subscriber to The Athletic. And if you're listening in the free universe, be it on iTunes, Spotify, wherever you might be listening, get yourself 40% off an annual subscription to all the goodness that we have at The Athletic. Also, if you are listening for free, please subscribe, rate, and review the show. It really does help us out. We'd appreciate you uh, taking a couple of minutes to do that check out the ranking show as well tomorrow uh, me jake seeley and brandon funston will be helping you uh, make those first pass at your fantasy lineups we got four teams going on by including a couple of big ones in the fantasy world green bay and seattle so maybe you need some help getting those fantasy lineups set jake brandon and i will do that on the ranking show also available to you uh, on the athletic or uh, in the free universe of podcast with all that out of the way we can now get to the advanced route for week 11. As I said, I was inspired by what we did last week, Emory, when we dove into three big games, three really intriguing games that we had last week and broke them down uh, from an X's and O's standpoint. Not quite as loaded a slate in week 11 as we had in week 10, but there is one marquee game uh, on the slate, and that's where I want to start this episode of the advanced route. Houston Texans, Baltimore Ravens, a huge showdown in the AFC. Maybe this determines who gets a bye in the AFC. Maybe it doesn't, but it's going to be a fun game and could eventually be a preview of a big playoff game to come. That's what I want to talk about with you to start this episode. So let's start right there. Houston, Baltimore, and let's start with Houston being on offense, Baltimore on defense. What do you expect to see uh, when the Texans have the ball in this game? Well, I expect to see them to work those tight ends. And I think when you look at how Deshaun Watson has developed a chemistry with Jordan Aikens and how he's starting to find him even more so, I think the tight ends will play a huge role in this game for Houston's offense and also putting those backers of of Baltimore in a one-on-one situation with their tailbacks like Duke Johnson and Carlos Hyde, both of which are really good receivers, with Duke having a little bit more wiggle. And Carlos Hyde. So I would say the tight ends 
and the backs will have a huge role in this ball game uh, when when the Texans have the football. Is that because of the matchup specifically, or is there is it because of uh, something you've seen from Houston's offense in the last couple of weeks? I think it's because of the matchup, and, and you know when you look at you know teams like uh, Baltimore that that want to apply pressure. You know, they want to get the ball out your hands quickly so they can rally up and make a tackle. But if you allow them, you know, now to if you want to stretch that that defense vertically with Humphrey and Peters, uh, Jimmy Smith, they have the three corners to match up against the three receivers of Houston. So your best bet is to look at other options in the passing game. And so you start to look at, you know, your backs. Can your backs win one-on-one matchups against their linebackers? Can your tight ends beat their safeties and if you have to choose which matchup you want to win with or can win with i think winning with the receivers is going to be a tougher win as opposed to your backs and tight ends and marlon humphrey getting the attention that he deserves i mean it seems like the guy's having just an excellent season he should man between he and peters it seems like they score as many touchdowns as <laughs> lamar jackson does like they are always in the end zone um i love how how they play their 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 ball hawks but humphrey uh, should be getting even more pub for what he's done. Uh, he's the quietest first-round pick from that 2017 class that has been just as good as advertised. He's been just as good as Deshaun Watson has been, and he has developed into a top-tier corner. Yeah, how tough of a matchup is this individually? I, I guess actually we can talk about it uh, as a combo. How tough of a matchup is it uh, for DeAndre Hopkins and Will Fuller, if he's able to get back, already practicing early in the week. Uh, how tough of a matchup is it for the res- those receivers? And then how does that uh, fall down to Deshaun Watson and make this a tough matchup for him as well? It's a tougher matchup for Fuller, Cutie, Stills, those guys, because Hopkins will be Hopkins regardless. So he's going to find ways to have success. Your best will always be their best in a game like this. So I don't, I don't worry about De- uh, DeAndre Hopkins. I'm I'm more concerned about the Fuller, Cutie, and Steels matchup uh, in this ball game because I think those guys will have to supersede coverage to find space to win. You know, because Baltimore is going to be aggressive, and you know now that they have these three long corners, Humphrey is six one, uh, Peters is six one, Jimmy Smith is six one, and it, and they're just not tall for the sake of being tall. They they are tall, but they know how to play big and. They utilize that length, that athleticism to really make things very tough for you uh, offensively. So I think those guys more in particular will have to worry about um, the the secondary more so than DeAndre Hopkins because Hopkins, he's played this way. He's played his way against number one corners all throughout his career has been, has been excellent. So if anything, they'll put him on a move, you know, maybe a little bit more so in this ball game just to create different looks. But I'm not worried about Hopkins. The unknown is the other guys in this ball game, the other receivers, in my opinion. With that in mind, is this a good spot for Carlos Hyde? Uh, the Ravens have been pretty tough um, on on the pass so far this season. They rank eighth against the pass in uh, Football Outsiders DVOA, but 28th against the rush. Do you expect to see to the Texans lean on Carlos Hyde a lot in this one? Well, I, I think so. I, I, I do believe a little bit of offense will be – um, the, you know, their offense will be playing a little bit of defense trying to keep that Ravens offense off the field. So, yeah, you'll you'll see a good – this is probably a good spot for Hyde and, and what he can do. So I would be more inclined to play him maybe as a flex guy if you're – if depending on how your depth is. But I think Carlos Hyde uh, and Duke Johnson are probably more serious plays in this ballgame. 
It's going to be a uh, an interesting game, certainly from Houston's side of the ball on offense. How about on the other side of the ball when Baltimore is on offense and Houston is on defense? First of all, Emery, I mean, is there any stopping Lamar Jackson at this point? The only thing that can stop Lamar Jackson is Lamar Jackson himself. And, you know, there's still, there's still dumb people out there, Michael Salfino, that still <laughs> is wishing um, this man gets injured. But that's, you know, he has to put his hate and his uh, denseness aside and really look at the fact that this guy is playing the quarterback position very efficiently. You saw in that Bengals game um, how effective he has been throwing the football and, you know, running, protecting himself as well. Uh, But the passing game, no one talked about that against the Bengals. The first play of the game, it was a deep shot to uh, uh, Marquise Brown. It looked like the Dolphins game, how they were attacking vertically down the field. I mean, and the way Lamar Jackson has just been consistent with his accuracy and placement and his trust in those receivers and putting the ball in spots where he trusts those guys to make those receptions, where a young quarterback that's struggling will be hesitant to make those tight window throws. We're not seeing Lamar Jackson be hesitant. He's letting it rip. And so I think if Lamar Jackson has an off day, that's the best defense against Lamar Jackson. You know, he's just having an off day. Uh, We saw him have an up and down game against Kansas City. And that was, that was an example of Lamar Jackson stopping himself. You know, same thing with the Browns game. Um, he missed a couple of throws, and he talked about it. You know, he missed a couple of throws, some easy layups. But that hasn't been the case the last couple of weeks. And so he seemed to, to have focused in. So I'd say the best way to stop him is to hope he stop himself. You just have to play your best on, on the other side, and hopefully that can negate what his best can be. But we've seen his best be tremendous. Yeah, I know Selfino uh, has been, uh, you know, sort of tempering enthusiasm for Lamar Jackson. I know the he guy should though, be tempering. He, he he's should not, be tempering. He doesn't want him to get hurt. He's not cheering for him to get hurt. I know Selfino. He keeps saying it. He is cheering for him to get he's hurt. What he should be talking about he be is how that it's a possibility, but he's not cheering for it. I promise it, you that it, it's a possibility that every person that steps on a football field is going to get hurt. What he should be focusing on is how well Sam Darnold is playing. <laughs> uh, I think he's. Uh, I think he's starting to own up to uh, to that one as uh, as well I doubt uh, it. with uh, with uh, with Darnold's play. Although, wait, hey, look decent against the uh, Giants, but that's not what he, that's not what we're here uh, to talk about. We're here. To Lamar talk about Jackson Ravens. didn't see ghosts against New England. I tell <laughs> no, you he, that. he certainly didn't. Given though the, the Patriots their first loss, how do how does Houston try to make Lamar Jackson see ghosts? How do they try to slow him down? Well, what you have to do is give him different looks. And to use a, an analogy or just to use the, the concept that's up in the CFL, because they see more quarterbacks like Lamar Jackson than we see here in the States. So those defensive coordinators have unique challenges. Not only are you playing against a lot more mobile quarterbacks, but you're also dealing with a wide field. You're also dealing with you know defensive line that's a yard off the ball. So you have to get creative in how you slow down these attacks. And they've had some success up there in slowing down certain attacks and, and things of that nature. So – I think a lot of what you do has to be combo related. Um, you may have to, you know, on one side you're playing man, other side you're playing zone. If you're going to, you know, zone blitz, you better have someone that's that's a pretty good athlete dropping back in that coverage in, in case he takes off that, you know, you have a guy that's that's capable to make the play. Like you don't want to drop back, uh, you know, Sam Adams or somebody like that. There's never going to be a threat to tackle Lamar Jackson in space. But if you have someone uh, that's a good athlete, let's say you have a Chandler Jones, right? And you're you're blitzing him and you're dropping him back. But let's use a practical you know example since we're talking uh, Houston. Let's say you have a guy like um, Whitney Merciless. You're dropping or, or Barkevius Mingo. 
you bring him up to the line like he's showing pressure and you drop him back and Lamar takes off. You can you can see a way where Mingo can be effective in space against Lamar Jackson. I'm not saying that he's going to be perfect, but at least he won't be, you know, DJ Reader dropping back in coverage and trying to tackle Lamar Jackson in space if he breaks free. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, so if you have a guy that, you know, that can do that, you can get creative as far as how you bring pressure. On the back end, you want to utilize guys that are versatile. So let's say you have a Justin Reed that can play down inside or also play back deep. You give him an opportunity to be a pseudo spy as a safety while also putting someone back there um, that, that can fill Reed's role as a traditional free safety. So you have to know your personnel, who's your versatile players, how can you maximize the versatility on defense to help limit what Baltimore can do. But to be honest, first and foremost, if you're not wanting to stop to stop the run, you're not going to be Baltimore. And it's not that they're doing anything creative or they're doing anything that, that we haven't seen before. Um, I, I know some idiots say the single wing, but at the end of the day, if you are not stopping the run, you're not going to be Baltimore. They're, all the motions and shifts, at the end of the day, you have to go downhill. And if you're not ready to play a downhill physical game, you're not going to win. So Houston, first and foremost, has to stop the run. And after that, then you can get creative. Yeah, number one rushing offense in the NFL, no matter what metric you want to use. You want to just use pure uh, total yards or, you know, anything like that. Baltimore's number one. They're number one in uh, Football Outsiders Rush DVOA. They're number three overall in that metric. Uh, Houston, meanwhile, uh, is uh, similar to Baltimore. Better against the run than they've been against the pass, but just because you've been better against uh, the run against the teams you've played to this point doesn't necessarily mean you're going to be able to do that against a team that runs the ball as well and as effectively as Baltimore does. I will say that Houston has allowed the third most fantasy points per game to the wide receiver position. Obviously, playing without J.J. Watt now, their best pass rusher. Uh, is this a? Uh, you think this is a good spot for someone like Marquise Brown? Interesting, because I thought they did a good job in their last outing in a passing game. I think their defense actually has played better without J.J. Watt, to be <laughs> honest. Um, you know, and what's going to have to happen is they're going to have to trust those those guys on the back end. Do they have enough speed? Because if you can't run with Baltimore, that's the other issue. They have a ton of speed on the perimeter. As much as we talk about Marquise Brown, Miles Boykin can run too. Um, you know, so if you can't get a, a jam on these guys and slow them down to neutralize that speed, then you may have an issue. However, I think, you know, their zone coverage, they they have a chance. They have a lot of smart football players back there, um, and that can help you out because that gives you more freedom to play certain complex zone coverages. Um, but if you, you know you can't because you can't play man against Lamar Jackson and these receivers because if you turn your back, it's a wrap. Lamar Jackson will be running right behind you. So um, I think it's about – being smart, being patient, and being deliberate. You have to make your your tackles. You have to be able to stay point of attack sound, so you have to stop the run. Offensively, you have to hit your layups. You can't have any mistakes. You have to treat them like you would treat the New England Patriots. You can't beat yourself and expect to beat Baltimore. All right, let's play. Uh, let's have a little prediction game here, and then we'll move on to our next topic. Who has the better fantasy game, Deshaun Watson or Lamar Jackson? Wow. they're both gonna have have good games but who has the better game right um i would i would have to go with lamar because of the dynamic ability of his running ability um is always the wild card in that in that matter but you're right they're both gonna have good games just gonna come about it in different ways yeah Uh, how about uh, the running backs carlos hyde or mark ingram 
Are we talking now with this one? Are we talking PPR or standard? Um, let's say half PPR. Okay, so I would say probably high. Okay, I like that. I, I think uh, another one where I think uh, you're going to be happy starting both of them. But uh, all right, so we got one for one for the Ravens with Omar, one for the Texans and Carlos Hyde. Didn't want to do a, a wide receiver comparison. Obviously, no one. Uh, there's no apples to apples comparison on Baltimore's roster for DeAndre Hopkins. So in uh, half PPR leagues so far this season, DeAndre Hopkins is averaging thirteen point nine fantasy points uh and that's the uh, the number 10 metric or the number 10 standing for wide receivers so far this season does deandre hopkins go over that 13.9 or under knowing that if he gets a touchdown he's almost certainly going over yeah i think he's gonna go over you know i think he's gonna do his thing uh in his in his game i think he'll have success all right and then finally just like we did last week emory who wins houston or baltimore man <laughs> it's, it's in about, Baltimore. Baltimore's favored by four. If that uh, gives you any sort of, uh, you know, and, and, and I, I like, I, I like Baltimore to win this game because quietly they went from being a straight liability on defense to have, you know, becoming very good now. They've gotten better. I mean, and yes, this challenge provides them and also Houston's defense a unique challenge because of the mobile quarterbacks involved in this ball game. But in that same breath. They've practiced against him, you know, against mobile quarterbacks every day. So they at least get an idea of how they can game plan. So I see a tight game, but I think Baltimore, because of how well they're playing defensively, gets the key defensive stop to win. All right. I can't wait for that game. It's going to be a whole lot of fun no matter who wins it. You get Deshaun Watson and Lamar Jackson uh, on the same field. You're going to have yourself, I think, a pretty good football game. And again, a lot at stake, too. Uh, could end up being the uh, the game that determines maybe who gets a uh, bye on the AFC side of the playoffs with Houston and Baltimore. I want to move on to a new topic, though, uh, for the rest of the show. Kareem Hunt made his uh, Cleveland debut, uh, his hometown, a Cleveland guy, and makes a, his debut for the Browns last week and looked pretty good. Emery uh, only carried the ball four times, but got 30 yards on those four carries, got nine targets in the passing game, caught seven of them for 44 yards. So right there, an instant impact, 11 touches, 74 yards from scrimmage. He played 54 percent of the team's snaps and got 78 percent of the team's running back targets what do you think his role is in this offense for the rest of the season I think you're going to slowly see them divvy up the carries and he's going to overtake the targets I, he's a better receiver in a passing game than Nick Chubb so he'll take those targets away uh, from Chubb whatever targets he has gotten in the passing game but I, I think we're going to start to see that though that carry number go upwards toward you know, maybe 15 carries because I think the smart move for the Browns is to rely on both Hunt and Chubb. So I see Chubb, uh, Chubb you know, getting spared toward the back end of the season while increasing the the, the carries and production uh, usage of Hunt, getting him up to speed, getting him back in football shape and allowing him to be a significant asset to this offense. So I do see Hunt and Chubb both eating in this offense. Yeah, again, 11 touches right off the bat and 74 yards from scrimmage. Obviously, Kareem Hunt is the sort of guy who can uh, have plenty of fantasy value if he's getting somewhere in the neighborhood of you know, 12, 14, 15 touches per game. Uh, obviously, you'd like to see more, but he doesn't need uh, any more than that to make a fantasy football impact. What was interesting to me, Emery, is that in their first game together, they were on the field for 28 snaps together, they being Kareem Hunt and Nick Chubb. That was 40% 
of the time that Cleveland had the ball. You had Kareem Hunt and Nick Chubb out on the field together. And again, just in Kareem Hunt's first game of the season. How do you best use two guys like that together? We've talked about it with a few other situations, but I think that you can make a strong argument that this is the most dynamic pairing of backs in the league. These are two true guys who could be true workhorses, both of them, if left alone. We saw it just last year when Kareem Hunt was still in Kansas City. So how do you make the best use of both of them being on the field at the same time? It just makes me think back to, you know, when the Raiders had Bo and Marcus in the backfield at the same time and playing together um, and how Bill Walsh used to utilize two backs in his 49er offense in a, back in the day as well uh, when he had Wendell Tyler and uh, Roger Craig. So there is room for this to happen. We saw it in New Orleans with Reggie Bush and Deuce McAllister. This can be productive. It can be very productive for this offense, especially – they don't have a tight end that you could trust right now. So to take that away and not lose the fact that you want to put Landry out there in the field, you want to have Beckham out there, that's a given. And whether you want to do a combination of Callaway or Higgins, whoever's that third receiver, you want one of them out there on the field. So you want three wide receivers out there, and you don't have a tight end that really threatens, uh, you know, it's a threat right now. So you have two great tight, uh, great running backs that are also solid in the passing game with Hunt being slightly better. So there's your quote-unquote tight end help. Because now when you put two backs out there and you also put three receivers, it puts the defense in the bind. Because now they have to stay, man, do we stay in base or do we stay in nickel? If they stay in nickel, you're going to run the football down their throat. Um, Because, you know, obviously they can match up with their receivers. But if they stay, if they go base, then you have, you know, an opportunity to have a, a mismatch in the passing game with those three receivers. So. However they choose to match up, I think it could be a blessing in disguise that they're having ineffective play right now at the tight end position. Yeah, they're using tight end, obviously, but I personally wouldn't take Chubb and Hunt off the field together because I know what having uh, two great tailbacks on the field at the same time looks like, and we've seen it be very successful in the NFL. Yeah, Kareem Hunt uh, got plenty of work in the slot, plenty of work lined up as a wide receiver in that game uh, for the Browns last week, and uh, got to expect that's going to be uh, a staple of the offense moving forward. Let's consider just really the the, the immediate term. This week, uh, Thursday night football, Cleveland and Pittsburgh. Uh, how does Kareem Hunt match up, uh, what you think, with this Steelers defense, a defense that uh, you talk about Baltimore finding a defense on the fly. This Pittsburgh defense looks a whole lot different than it did early in the season. Yeah, here's the thing with Pittsburgh. Their defense is, is is great. So having those two backs now also keeps you, you know, uh, doing really well in the pass game to help with blitz pickup, which should give a little bit more time to Baker Mayfield to find guys deep down the field. Um, I'm looking more into how this Browns defense attacks this ineffective quarterback in Mason Rudolph, mm-hmm. who has, if we're being honest, They've been winning in spite of Mason Rudolph. And the offense just hasn't looked good at all. It looks clunky. Um, And a lot of it is because Mason Rudolph has that same issue that Daniel Jones has, that same issue that Sam Darnold has. They don't feel pressure well. And because they don't feel pressure well, they don't get out of harm's way. And that's when turnovers happen. That's when the sacks happen. We saw Mason Rudolph just take one of the worst safeties last week against the Rams. Like, that football has to come out of your hands. I know it happens fast, but you have to anticipate that 
as a QB and get rid of the football or get out of dodge, like sprint out. Even if the call doesn't call for a sprint out, sprint out the pocket and throw the ball away. And so um, don't take the sack. So I think the defense of Cleveland will probably be more of what you should watch for because it limits what um, the Steelers' offensive playmakers can do. And I think that's why it's going to be a very tight game. Yeah, Kareem Hunt uh, definitely uh, adding to the offense with that defense of uh, of Cleveland. I think also uh, each this week against Pittsburgh, uh, a game I believe in Cleveland. Let me check. Yep, in Cleveland. Uh, so Browns small favorites in that one, and clunky I think is the perfect word, Emery, for how this Pittsburgh offense has looked with Mason Rudolph at the helm. I think Kareem Hunt though can get right back into those fantasy lineups. Plenty of work likely for him uh, this week and for the rest of the season. One more return I want to talk about before we put a bow on this episode of the advanced route it is in jacksonville nick Foles back from his uh injury suffered back in week one the broken collarbone he is back he is ready to go uh for jacksonville taking over gardner Minshew, Minshew mania at least going on the shelf for uh for the foreseeable future Foles back as the starter for jacksonville first and foremost i want to ask what is it like for a player just you know he's had 10 weeks off he's been rehabbing this injury What's it like for a player coming back in season? It's not like he had an off-season, right, to get over an injury. This is an in-season injury. What's it like for a guy to come back and join a team that is still uh, uh, fighting for a playoff spot? Yeah, it's it's very interesting situation because you want to – the team is rolling. You know, they're not easing into the off-season workouts or preseason. The team is is playing really good football. They're, they're on fire right now as far as, like, the, you know, the routine. And you're coming in cold. And you don't want to throw any water on that fire. You, you kind of want to pick up where you left off. But the problem is you're coming off an injury. You don't want to press because you are cognizant of re-injury. Uh, I mean, and the last time we saw him throw a football, it was a touchdown pass. It just so happened he got hurt on the same play. Um, so in his mind, he probably thinks, okay, I, I know I can do this. I've done this before. But we haven't seen him do it coming off of an injury. And that particular injury where he got hit in the pocket um, you know, it's funny, a pocket passer gets hurt in the pocket as opposed to the mobile guys that we've talked about that never got hurt. <laughs> um, so, but Nick Foles has to come in and he has to try to ease into the game as far as the timing is concerned, because we both know game speed is different than practice speed. Uh, so that's going to be interesting to see how quickly they can get up to speed on the timing part of it. And then after that, once he takes that first hit and realizes that he's okay, then he'll be, he'll be just fine. Yeah, how about the uh, the matchup with the Colts uh, specifically? How does that uh, how does that set up for for Nick Foles' game and really for this Jacksonville passing attack as a whole? I think it sets up. They'll they'll ease Nick Foles in, so you'll see a lot of Fournette. You'll see a lot of play action, max protect. You know, two simple routes, maybe comboing off each other. You know, a nice little uh, smash concept where he's going to either hit short guy or that corner where it go out of bounds, or he hits him in stride. You know, in, in between that that hole between the corner and the safety, or you're going to see a nice little in route with a post behind it. Something that's, that's easy. That gives him one side of the field to ease him into a groove. And then as, after they see him get comfortable, they'll start to expand that thing out into where he's going to be, have those full field reads and have those, the ability to drop back and read left to right or right to left um, and go through his progressions because they want to also protect him. Uh, even though they have comfort in, in Gardner Minshew, they want to play Nick Foles and have Nick Foles be the guy that they signed all that money to sign for all that money. Um, so I think the, the receivers, I, they'll be fine. They'll eat. They'll do a good job. It won't look like uh, anything completely different than what we saw under Gardner Minshew. I think you'll see more for net in this ball game 
before you see the receivers and then the receivers in subsequent weeks will get back up to speed to what we saw, you know, during that whole Minshew era. Is there anything on a receiver um, when when you have a quarterback change like this? It's you know it's interesting to call it a change because obviously they work with him all summer. They come out. I mean, Foles was you said the last pass he threw was a touchdown. It was to DJ Chark. Um, I mean, and he was like six for seven or seven for eight. I want to say uh, in that game uh, with that long touchdown pass to Chark when he got hurt. So it's not like they're you know suddenly transitioning to a guy that they haven't had a lot of work with. But is there any sort of you know, um, adjustments on the fly that need to be made that could lead to at least some maybe short-term ineffectiveness or haltingness in the Jacksonville passing attack? Not really. I don't I don't see much to worry about. You know, it's easy to get a guy back in a groove, screen passes, uh, a little short, you know, safe passes, and then allowing him to rip it later on in the game. So I, I don't think you'll see any significant drop-off from those three guys, uh, Char Conley or Westbrook. So basically, however you were treating Chark, Conley, Westbrook, if he's able to get back from his injuries this week, however you were treating them before Nick Foles returned, you should be treating them the same with Foles back under center. Or is there maybe uh, an upgrade because of uh, uh, maybe Foles has a steadier hand of the offense than Minshew did? He may have a steadier hand, but he's still rusty. It's been, what, like you say, what, 10 weeks? Yeah. So, you know, he's been a bit rusty. Um, you know, that's a, that's a significant time missed uh, throwing with your guys. So. I, again, I don't see that big of a drop off. I wouldn't worry either. Let me ask you this: uh, This is uh, something that just occurred to me because I was thinking about uh, you and I talking about Jacoby Brissett, uh, one of our very first shows after the Andrew Luck retirement. We talked about Jacoby Brissett and you know how does he take over this indie offense and everything that we talked about. And uh, you mentioned that he had the right coach because Frank Reich did all the great things he did when Carson Wentz got hurt and who came in for Carson Wentz, Nick Foles. And you said that you had compared Jacoby Brissett to Nick Foles when uh, Brissett was coming out of college. Does Reich's familiarity with Foles have any effect on this game? That's a great question um, and a great setup. I think so. And so what better person to game plan against than the person that you competed with Time and time again, it's like who knows you who 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 can be the best uh, who can rob you the best. It would be family because they know you <laughs> personally. They know how to strike your emotional cord to play on your emotions to get what they need and get what they want. So the same rule applies to guys that have coached with someone, especially at that position. So they know what they like, know what they don't like, know their tendencies. So there's an there's going to be a, a significant advantage to uh, to that you know, dynamic of the matchup. However, at the end of the day, you still have to play football and you still have to overcome um, all of that pregame stuff, you know, in all of those ancillary things. Cause once the ball snap, who cares what the play is, who care, who cares what tendencies you may have, you still got to complete the pass. And that's, that's the biggest thing. Anything in this indie defense uh, that we've seen recently that uh, would give you pause about, um, about Nick Foles? Let's say someone uh, is in a situation where they, they're likely to start Nick Foles or they have to start Nick Foles. Is there anything in this indie defense specifically that would give you pause and would make you want to look to someone who maybe isn't on the fantasy radar quite so much as Foles? Or uh, do you think that we can uh, basically trust him uh, with his uh, first start on the horizon? I think you can basically trust him. I just will also play the Colts defense if you have the Colts defense <laughs> because you want to see how healthy he okay. is or how trusting he is of his newfound health by getting after him pretty early and pretty uh, often. 
Well, Emery, uh, I am always trusting of you. So uh, those uh, those spots where I do have Jacksonville players and I do have quite a bit of DJ Chark, I'm definitely going to be uh, sticking him in that line. I'm not worried about the uh, the return of Nick Foles, even with 10 weeks on the shelf for this collarbone injury. That's going to do it for us here on this edition of the Advanced Route. Again, you can follow Emery on Twitter at FBallGamePlan. You can follow me on Twitter at M. Beller. Check out theathletic.com slash the advanced route. Get yourself 40% off an annual subscription to The Athletic. Please rate, review, subscribe The Advanced Route. We greatly appreciate it. Emery, greatly appreciate you, my man. Great analysis as always. Appreciate you, man, as always. And good luck this week on all your 50 billion fantasy teams you got. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. It's uh, I've got, like I told you before, I've got that spreadsheet that helps me keep track of everything. Uh, and, uh, you know, the, the, the advice I get here uh, helps as well. So, uh, so I thank you for that. And I thank you for your uh, great work as always. And we thank all of you, of course, for listening to the advanced route for Emory Hunt. I'm Michael Beller. Have a great week.